SMS SAFM now on 41391. Tweet at SAFM Radio and at Patricia M. Dooley. Social Conversations. Let's welcome our A-team guest, uh, Rahim Thawa, who is a social worker and a mental health clinician based in Canada. Thank you very much, Rahim, for joining us. Good evening. Good evening. Thanks for having me, Patricia. So it's evening here in South Africa. Hence, I said good evening, but I'm sure the time zone. Oh, so you're in South Africa? I am. I'm in Johannesburg. Ah, excellent. Okay, so Ben gave me that you're in Canada. I thought this is your current location. Um, Excellent. (laughs) Um, today we're talking about something that's uh, quite uh, creative, um, something I think we, we don't explore much. And these are various ways of uh, finding counseling and uh, various methods of counseling. So please tell yes. us what harm reduction counseling is. Well, harm reduction is it's an approach that's becoming increasingly popular uh, around the world. And it's really about understanding and approaching what you might see as high risk behaviors in a way that's really respectful and inclusive. So it's really about saying, uh, let's talk about what the negative outcomes are of your behavior, whether it's alcohol use, cocaine use, gambling, compulsive, uh, it could be compulsive sex, you know, whatever it is. Let's identify the negative outcomes and let's try to curb some of those, right? So you're, you're spending less, you're drinking less, you're reducing the harms, associated with risky or harmful behavior. Mm. So why is this uh, approach becoming more popular uh, with treating substance abuse instead of just making people go cold turkey and just stopping altogether? Well, that's a great question, you see. So that would be called an abstinence model, right? And we know that abstinence models in general um, are not super effective, or they at least it's, it's a glove that doesn't fit for everyone, right? And so I think we have to really meet people where they're at. So, for example, if I really, really enjoy drinking socially, but sometimes it becomes a problem and it leads to anger or it leads to me sleeping in and I miss work, you know, I might not be in a place to say I want to give it up altogether, although that could be a goal for somebody. If I say, you know what? I want to be able to still drink socially but not go overboard. And if you were my counselor, Patricia, you would want to say, yeah, let me help you do that. If you said, you know, Raheem, no, you have to stop altogether or I can't see you, well, then I'm not going to get the help I need. And we can't have a conversation about how, like, about my relationship to alcohol, how it mm-hmm. serves me, why I think I need it, um, why I get carried away. So it's an approach that is quite uh, holistic when I listen to what you're saying, and hence it's becoming more and more popular. But let's go into a typical counseling session for someone who's a substance abuser and will use um, cigarette as an example or that uh, alcohol. Um, And and they are now in a counseling session. What does it look like? What does it sound like if you are taking this reduction, um, harm reduction counseling approach? Yeah, that's a great question. So I use a number of tools. Um, one of them is to, it's called uh, motivational interviewing. And the purpose of that is to explore somebody's, um, their own motivation to change. So the way I do that is I say, you know, first tell me, what's good about the thing you're doing? What do you like about smoking? How does it help you? Why, how did you come to rely on it? Um, and I would also ask, 
if you were to change that, what's the cost of that? Like, why don't you want to change? What will be different in your life, right? Some people might say, oh, I smoke with my pals during the work day. It's how I schedule or structure my day. So if I'm not smoking, how will I fit in? How will I organize my time? Um, how will I have social time, right? So I think it's important to first talk about why we rely on something and then to explore what are our reasons and motivations for change, right? So, with, you know, some people will say, <clears throat> they'll be very ambitious and they'll say, this has been causing me problems. I spent all my rent money. I need to stop. And they say, okay, I'm not going to do this drug anymore. And I kind of think, okay, try that for a week. Let's see how it goes. You have an absolute goal. And then come back and tell me how it goes. Eight times out of ten, like some people can do it, but eight times out of ten, people will say, I, I, I wasn't able to. And they might say, okay, let's set some realistic goals, right? I don't think people can switch things on and off like a, like a switch, you know. They really have to build realistic goals and do it slowly. Because our drug use and our alcohol use is connected to our social environment. So you can't completely change your behavior if you're not completely changing your environment. If you're going to change in your environment, it's going to take time. So we need to get an approach that will be suitable and understanding of a person's circumstances and also of, of how they feel about that particular substance. And we must understand, I mean, it, it, I can't imagine a person who smokes cigarettes uh, trying to get off the cigarettes and they're being told to go cold turkey. There should be impact and effects on their mind, on their bodies. <clears throat> and these could also be negative that now all of a sudden I'm going cold turkey. It could cause an adverse effect, but if you take the harm reduction counseling approach, then it eases the person into um, the, the the process of eventually leaving this particular substance. One hundred percent. And you know, we also say in harm reduction counseling that relapse is part of recovery, right? So sometimes you go back to your old pattern, but sometimes you just take a small step back and then you continue on your journey. Right. And for so many people, just being able to talk about what they're experiencing. So let's say somebody's smoking cigarettes, you know, they might talk about the stress of their of their job, for example, or um, the comfort it gives them. Maybe they have social anxiety and smoking reduces their anxiety. We can slowly try to come up with new strategies to work on the stress and the anxiety. Right. And then they can phase the they can phase out the smoking. Uh, to ask them to do it all at once with no tools, it, it, it can be a bit unfair. It can be a bit harsh. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. A-teamers, please join in on this conversation. Perhaps you're struggling um, with uh, an addiction of any sorts and you want uh, some assistance. This is an opportunity for you to ask your questions or if you've been through counseling to um, um, help you with an addiction uh, of whatever substance you might be using. Tell us how that experience was and how you would, you know, relate to this particular uh, approach that uh, Rahim is telling us about that harm reduction counseling. I think I'd love to hear how different it is from the counseling you received. 011-714-2006. That's where you can get us or you can uh, SMS on 41391. WhatsApps go to 0614-104107. So Rahim, there are other methods of um, or models rather of counseling. Can you explain to us the ABC model and what specific harm reduction strategies can look like before, during, and after the use? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. 
So the ABC model is actually something that started with helping children who express a lot of anger, right? You help a child identify the anger and the consequence of it. And you say, what can we do before you get angry to reduce the intensity of the anger? And then afterwards, when you've expressed the anger, what can you do afterwards? So they've transformed this model and used it for the adult population, right? So, for example, if somebody is really, you know, let's say they have, um, let's say their behavior is that they they spend too much money on cocaine or they drink and they drink too much. Let's say they do both of those together. That is B. That's a behavior. So I could say, how about you plan how much you're gonna cocaine you're gonna use, and that's better than un, that's better than doing unplanned use. What if you plan in advance how much money you're gonna spend? The other way to reduce harms associated with behavior is to say, how much do you normally drink? Instead of always ordering doubles, maybe you could reduce to ordering singles and have a glass of water between each drink. So that is tackling uh, reduction strategies connected to behavior. But I might say, when do you tend to party? When do you tend to drink and use cocaine, right? Now I'm talking about the activator, the thing that happens before the behavior. And lots of people will say, after a fight or a conflict, or they'll say, on payday, of course. (laughs) And we might say, okay, so you get paid, or it's the end of the week, and you want to reward yourself. So actually, in a way, feeling happy and having money in the bank account is an activator for your substance use. So how do we reduce harms in in this case, right? You might have to, something might be, I might do with someone who's come up with self-talk, like, I want to be able to have fun today, but I also need to be able to be happy for the rest of the month. Or I need to be able to budget so that I can be happy now and also happy later, right? Um, So that's how we, you know, work with some of the activators. I might also say, okay, you did a bunch of, you know, you did a bunch of drugs and you drank a bunch. What happened to you the next day? And someone might say, oh, I have memory loss or... I lost my wallet. It's not uncommon for people to say, I lost my phone in the cab or things mm, like mm. that. And then they have to say, okay, you know, those are really big consequences. What can you do next time? And so for some people, you know, they leave their credit card at home and they only take a select amount of cash with them. Or if they're going to use illicit substances, they might say, uh, you know, I'm going to take a friend with me whom I trust and that friend can tell me we cut off at the same time. So that means, you know what, by... 12.30, that's the end of our time, right? So we try to mitigate the consequences. So ABC stands for activators, behavior, and consequences. And the point of this model is to say we can work on reducing the behavior or containing the behavior related to substances, but we can also do some work on before and after, does that make sense? Makes absolute sense. Makes absolute sense. I need to go to a voice note here that has been sent by one of our A-team listeners. Lovely. Good evening, A-teamers. Um, I'd just like to say uh, it depends on your, on how strong-willed you are. Uh, when I got, when I came down with COVID, uh, I think this is now about four days before i came down with COVID, i i uh, i was a regular smoker this is now last year last year august i was a regular smoker smoking every day 
uh four days before i came down with covid i had bought a pack of cigarettes and then when i got diagnosed with covid i decided on the day that i got my results i decided to, uh, when i tested positive i decided right then then that i actually quit and uh, i still had a few cigarettes left in the pack and i gave it away to a friend of mine well done something had to tip you over well done for kicking the habit um what would you um want to say rahim to this uh, listener yeah i think that's really fabulous so congratulations uh what you're describing is something we call backward conditioning essentially the way i understand it is that you used to associate cigarette smoking with a positive outcome but then when you got covid you know, you started to associate uh, smoking with a negative outcome. And so a lot of the desire or the craving for the substance disappeared for you. And so this happens to a number of people. You know, you might notice people will say, oh, you know, I no longer drink tequila, for example, because they had a bad night with that. You know, so that's the kind of backward conditioning. Luckily, with cigarettes, you're not just going to say, oh, I no longer want this and I'm going to switch to a different brand because that's hardly the point. The, the, the experience you had was fear around your respiratory health and fear about long-term negative outcomes. And so that's really good because usually with substances, whether it's drugs or alcohol, including tobacco, usually the benefits are short-term and the harms are long-term. And it can be really hard for us to think about long-term when we're trying to just uh, regulate our emotions or have fun in the moment. Well, uh, because of time, we're going to have to get to wrapping up our our conversation. But how would you propose we build a framework in South Africa to understand the context of drug and alcohol use in our communities? Well, I, that's a good question. I have to say, as somebody from Canada, you know, I've, I've been here for a few months and I'm still learning about the culture. But there is a heavy drinking culture here. And... Um, there's a, there's a couple of things I would say. So one is, I think we need to see in the various different communities how drinking and tobacco use operates. Because in some ways, it seems to be cultural and ritual and medicinal. And so we can't just attack that. We have to be able to separate what's ritual and medicinal from what's recreational. So that's the first thing. We also have to see how, how is it a problem for some communities or some people specifically. Right. So if some people are like, this is not a problem for me, then they're not going to want to come to get help. Right. So we have to come up with, I think, good outreach strategies and do education in, in communities, particularly communities that are, are, are disconnected from larger cities. They often have a tougher time getting connected with good services and education. The other thing is everybody everywhere can start to track how much they take into their body, just like people track their carbs and calories. We should have a sense of how much we're, how much our substances we're taking into our body. Finally, I would say, as, as a matter of drug policy, you know, when drugs are illegal, it makes it very difficult for people to reach out for treatment because they feel so much shame or they feel uh, fear of getting, in, in, you know, um, uh, criminalized by the law. So I think decriminalizing drugs as a matter of, uh, of drug policy is very important because that can be a huge barrier. 
So as we close off, um, can you uh, quickly tell us about the Practice Dialogue Workshop Series and how our listeners can join in on these particular series? Yes, absolutely. Look, I am uh, uh, an international visiting scholar with SACAP, which is a South African College of Applied Psychology. If you go to their website, sacap.edu.za, and you click on Events, you can sign up. It's for free. I've got three more workshops coming up. The one is this Thursday. It is about uh, substance use, how to identify when there's a problem, and creative approaches to harm reduction. The next one that's coming up is about shame and sexuality. And the final one that I'll be doing in May is about supporting family members when someone who is LGBTQ comes out. So you can go to sacap.edu.za. You can go to the events and sign up for free. And all of the workshops will be available virtually. Thank you so very much for joining us, Rahim. And I'm sure a lot of our A-teamers will be uh, joining these webinars. I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.